Reparenting Yourself and Your Kids After Divorce on episode number 61 of Divorce Happy Hour. Host Christina Previtt and joining me today is Sheva Gans. She has a master's in counseling. She's an expressive arts therapist who works with children, adolescents, and adults. She has specialized training and experience in education, play therapy, creative movement, and the therapeutic use of yoga, dance, meditation, and trauma recovery. Welcome, Sheva. Thank you. So happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. And so the topic today is reparenting. Yeah. And I don't know if I if there's like a technical definition to that word, but why don't you help us understand what that means? I, I, I'm not sure there's a technical ter- uh, definition either, but I will explain it, how I view it and how I use it in my practice and personally. And the reason why I'm so passionate about using it is because it's something that I have found effective for me myself. Reparenting, I see it as a two multifaceted approach to getting to know yourself and getting to be a better parent. And we have, we often look at ourselves as one whole being. I am Sheva and you're Christina. But what we fail to notice is we're actually made up of many, many parts of ourselves that kind of got stuck in a way from childhood. So if there's disruptions and needs that happen during childhood, but there's a part of us that's seven-year-old inside or three-year-old inside that's always trying to get a need met. And that is what's responsible for when we have outbursts, when we have anxiety, when we have depression, it's this conflict that's happening inside of us between those two parts. So one aspect of reparenting is first just to get to know those parts. It's being a parent to yourself recognizing what you didn't get maybe as a child, very few of us had a perfect childhood. And there's a spectrum of how traumatic your childhood is. Some people have an incredibly, incredibly sad, tragic and traumatic childhood. And some people just have parents who were people and weren't able to meet all of their emotional needs. We still have reactions to that without the blame. We're not blaming parents for being parents, but we have reactions to that as children that we carry with us into adulthood. And reparenting is being the parent you never had in those moments to those parts of yourself. And once you're able to do that, then you can come to your own parenting with your own children with that perspective of what does your child maybe need that you haven't been able to give or address and getting out of your own head and your own story and reparenting yourself, giving yourself your needs and giving your children your needs. And that ties in so well with what's going on in the world globally right now. Everyone's talking about self-care, self-care, self-care. What does self-care mean? Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, is that taking a bath? Is it going for a walk? Is it a yoga class? What, what does it really mean? Is it a glass of wine? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a bottle of wine, Christina. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be real about self-care. Um, but really, all of those are important and those are side aspects of self-care. Really, self-care is giving yourself the care, attention, and the love that those parts of you didn't get when they were young. So if somebody's listening to this or watching and saying, I don't have any of that, what would you say? <laughs> You're not aware of it. <laughs> so we all have it, and it's not necessarily because your parents are bad people or, or they were bad parents. It's just that they're human. And as human beings, we're imperfect. Not only are they human, but if you trace back this line, they are parents 
they are adults with little children inside and they were parented by adults with little children inside. And you know, this whole psychology movement, this mindful parenting, this conscious parenting, this is new. This, our whole new approach to parenting has been in the last 20, 30 years. Think back to the way most people were raised and taught how to parent, very disciplinarian, very different from our, our, our conscious parenting model that we have now. So it's almost guaranteed that somewhere along the line, if it's not your parents, it's their parents or your grandparents had those unmet needs inside of them and brought those to the table. You always bring them to the table with your parenting. Nothing triggers you the way children trigger you because that reminds you of yourself as a child and it makes you upset about things you didn't get or things you should have gotten or couldn't have gotten. And it's all subconscious. So yeah. So you're not necessarily aware of it. So, uh, so just as normal human beings, when we parent, are we subconsciously overcompensating for things maybe that we didn't get when we were kids? Yes. Yes. A lot of the times, sometimes we'll have a child do something and we'll think very subconsciously, if I did that, I would have gotten in trouble. And there's almost this it's crazy because we're acting like children inside and we don't realize it. And we get upset at our children because we're thinking that we would have gotten punished for doing that, that it's not fair that they should get away with it if we weren't able to get away with it. Or maybe even that you're a bad parent because you're letting your kid do that. Yes, there's all these different ways that children that we feel bad about parenting, but it's not that we're letting them do it, but that they were inclined to do it. And that's, that is a, a, a kind of a separate topic, but super important about how we look at children as our extension of our ego. So if we have a kid that's having a meltdown in the supermarket, who looks bad? Me, not them. And that's why parents get frustrated, upset, lose patience. It's very hard for them to be with their child in the moment because they're thinking about their ego of this looks really bad for me. It looks like I'm a terrible parent and that's hard to let go of. Yeah, but I think we all know that when you're the outsider, at, le at least me, I'm not thinking what a terrible parent. I'm thinking, oh, God, I feel so sorry for that person right now because their kid is having a meltdown. And um, if, if you've spent time around children, you know, sometimes you can't really control that. Um, but I get it. You know, I've, we've all been on a plane where there's a kid that's screaming his head off and you're just like, I, why aren't their parents doing anything? Right. Yeah, but you, you happen to be a compassionate observer and it doesn't matter if everybody around you is being a compassionate observer. Yeah. You're in the moment and you feel it's your responsibility. It, it can be mortifying. And, and that is when you see parents lose their patience, get frustrated, even hit, pull, yeah. tug. They just want it to stop. It's so embarrassing. Yes, yes. And, you know, right now I didn't intend to bring this up, but obviously because of the pandemic, people are under a lot of stress for a lot of different reasons. Um, are these things kind of magnified right now? Yes. And that's why I'm, I'm trying to get awareness out about this reparenting approach because all of this stuff is going on outside, inside of us. And if, if life is, if the, if the external is not so stressful and not stimulating, we might not notice what's going on. We may not be triggered, but the more triggers we have that are stress inducing, anxiety inducing, the more those parts are getting activated. And today I would say we have a lot of external stresses that are influencing our reactions. And so you're taking 
uh, a pandemic, medical issues, work, employment, then you're putting parents in a home with their kids, <laughs> Zoom school, office, it's like, it's a, it's a boiling pot for every stressful experience that you can have. And how do you react to that? That's your natural inclination, your patterns of reactivity. Those are what gets triggered. It's very rare that you would take somebody, put them in a situation like that, and all of a sudden they find their zen <laughs> in their internal peace without having done the work and processed and thought about it and, and really applied that to themselves. So obviously I'm a divorce lawyer. This is the Divorce Happy Hour podcast, but is I don't, it doesn't seem that this is something that's limited just to people that are getting a divorce or who are recently divorced. But do you see any issues that might be a little bit more important for the, the family that is now becoming divorced? Amazing question. You're right. I think reparenting and this internal investigation for your inner child, your children is good for everybody. I, I truly believe everybody should look into it if possible. I focus on divorced uh, parents because I feel that if you were in a relationship that you were unhappy, then there's patterns there. And I wanna help parents stop those patterns so that they don't get into another relationship that's similar to the first because that happens all the time. I'm actually curious, do you know offhand the statistic of what the second, what the rate of divorce is for second marriages? I've heard different things, but I've heard over 50%, like 60 something percent. So more than first marriages. Yes. The second marriage divorce rate is higher than first marriage divorce rates. And that's my point is that it's the same patterns. It's the same stuff. You can leave your marriage. You are still bringing yourself and your past and your triggers and your history with you. And if you don't do the work and if you don't address those issues, then you're you're, it's very likely you can get caught in, a, in the same type of marriage in the same scenario. And I think that's important to address if you have kids. You want, you know, divorce can be an opportunity. It doesn't have to be this terrible tragedy that happened in your life and your children's life. Uh, and I'm not saying everyone should rush out and get divorced if they're unhappy in their marriage, but it is an option and it can be an opportunity if you take advantage of it. And that, and what I mean personally, taking advantage of it is doing the reflection and seeing what was my responsibility in this marriage? What was my part in the breakdown of the marriage? What could I have done differently? And why did I react this way? Why did I choose this partner? And why was I so unhappy in the relationship? And then you're doing yourself and your children the greatest gift you can give. Yeah. And just to clarify it for people who are watching, it's not to rehash what happened in the past, but it's to learn from the experience so that you don't repeat any toxic patterns that you have as you move into the next phase of your life. So if these things are subconscious, mm -hmm. how do we recognize them? Well, meditations, there's, and there's certain processes and there's certain steps where you start to bring them up. So our subconscious, there's there's all different ways of that that experts look at the brain and categorize the brain. And it, there seems to be a generalized acceptance or approach that our subconscious is our is governed by our emotions and by memories. And our conscious thought that's more logic, reasoning, that's our prefrontal cortex. And it's finding the combination between the two, connecting both of them of that adult brain, that logic, rules, guidelines with that younger brain. And that's our inner child, that emotion-based, memory-based um, 
brain and thought process. And finding the connection is a lot of meditations, visualizations, affirmations, taking the time. You know, you'd be amazed at what comes to the surface when you just stop and take the time and pay attention rather than our go, go hustle mode, which a lot of single parents are constantly in for better or for worse. That's just life as a single parent. So if someone has never meditated and, you know, maybe they're even saying, oh God, this is so woo woo. I'm not doing this. Um, and, or, and, or if their brain is just rushing all the time and they're always like a chicken without a head, they might be thinking there's no way that I can meditate. What would be something that you could tell those people to at least start with? Okay. I'm going to give everybody uh, a technique to try. And this is based off of our right brain, left brain, and our hand coordination. So our your dominant hand, I'm a, I'm a right hand, and so I'm a righty. So my dominant hand is connected with the, with the left side of your brain, and that's the, more of the executive functioning, the, the logic, the reasoning. And the right side is the creative, more emotion-based side. So when we write with our right hand, we're in our adult mode. So this technique is having a dialogue, conversing with those different parts of your brain or those different parts of yourself, depending on how you look at it, using both your hands. So your dominant hand would be you now present and your non-dominant hand would be your inner child. And I would recommend people, if you don't have any background in meditation, find a quiet, quiet spot. Don't do this where you're gonna get distracted. Take a few deep breaths, just get in the moment as much as you can and grab a pen and paper and see what happens just without judging it, without giving thought of this is ridiculous. And I I've been there. I've had both experiences like this doesn't make any sense. And I've also had really incredible awarenesses and, and, and it's what you make of the experience. And then you read what your inner child says to you and honor that really it's about giving space to that inner child of I'm here to honor your needs. I want to listen and see what comes up. Try it. I encourage, I challenge all listeners to just try it and see what happens and then post on Christina's wall. What yeah. You experience yeah. With it. Or if it's too personal, you know. Um, so I want to talk about trauma a little bit because I, when I introduced you, it, I referenced that you treat trauma recovery. What is that exactly? And, and maybe we could clarify what trauma is because something that I've learned is that trauma doesn't always have to be like, you know, some really horrible event that would make the news, right? Like it can be something smaller and it's important to for us to acknowledge that. Yeah. So a few things. One, I don't really do trauma recovery as much as trauma informed work. Trauma recovery is very intense, but trauma informed work means seeing a person for their whole, for their experience, for their history, and taking into account all of the things that happened before, including trauma. We, we, all of us have, most of us, some degree of trauma when what it's called big T or little T. So big T are the big traumas, you know, war and rape and all these terrible things that happen to humans. And little T's are the smaller traumas. And, and really what a trauma is, it's a disruption in your need for safety and security. We have, see on the back, I have my four needs. So one of those needs, the light is kind of shining on it, is safety. As children, as humans, we have a natural instinctual need for safety. And when that need gets disrupted, that's an experience of trauma. And so when we're children, 
and we don't feel safe. And this is really, really true and, and important for people who are getting divorced because divorce is um, incredibly unsettling for children because the home, the structure, the family, the safety that they know, even if both parents are very loving and create other homes, what they know in that moment has now been dissolved, doesn't exist, it's unstable, life is unstable. And it makes them question, what else is unstable? If this home and this family that I thought was forever and would be here for me can fall apart like this, what else in my life can I lose so quickly? And it makes them very suspicious. And so safety is a really important one to pay attention to. And that's why divorce is considered some type of a trauma for children because it's a disruption of a need. So how can parents help their kids to feel safe even though there's a divorce happening? Well, oh, great. This is my this is my message to parents who are divorcing and numerous studies, longitudinal studies that they've done over many years to research the effects of divorce on children have uncovered that divorce itself doesn't have to be traumatic. It's how parents divorce that is so important. And the two main factors that determine how children interpret their experience of divorce is conflict in the divorce. So minimizing conflict as much as possible. And there are so many tips in here, but specifically not putting kids in between, not using them as messengers in between, not bad mouthing other, the other parent, certainly not yelling, fighting, screaming, hitting in front of the child. I mean, it shouldn't happen at all, but specifically in front of the child. So reducing conflict and quality of parenting. So that means upping your game a little bit, which is hard. And this is why I went into this field and I focus on single parenting. And I know I speak from experience. I'm divorced myself. I have three kids. And though that that, that time frame when you're in the divorce and post-divorce is so emotionally difficult, it's hard to be a very present, compassionate, and loving parent. It's hard. And that's when your kids need you to be that the most. So my work is about giving parents those tools and maybe a little bit of help and resources to, to, be, to give quality parenting to your children. And that means spending one-on-one -on -one time with your child, children, however many you have, carving out, if you can, 10 to 15 minutes a day with them, learning how to listen to them, learning how to hear their feelings without getting hurt. You know, they can be unhappy. They might they might say, I hate you. And they might say, you know, I want to go to dad or I want to go to mom and learning how to listen to those feelings without taking things personally and just upping your game in terms of quality parenting. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people might feel spread really thin because, you know, they're dealing with safety issues themselves when they're getting divorced. I, I think, I don't want to generalize, but I think a lot of women in particular feel that way um, because they're oftentimes their sense of belonging is in the home. Um, hopefully I don't get, you know, attacked for saying that, but it's, it has been a trend that other psychologists have talked about um, that women generally feel a little more tied to the home and, you know, it's part of their identity, making a nice home for everyone, you know, nesting kind of, um, and men, and you can tell me what you think about this, Men, men's identity is oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes tied more to their careers and their ability to provide for the family. So in your opinion, is that true? Yes. And, and interestingly enough, so I just want to say also, I, 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 I'm all about equality and gender rights and everything like that. I do believe that 
as a generalization, yeah. men and women do have different needs and do they do manifest and express themselves in different ways. But look at my chart, what you just said, right? Women generally have a stronger need for belonging. That's how they experience love through the relationship and men through significance, which is their job, their ego, their contribution to the world. And those are two needs. And it that's very true that I have found that women tend to feel more connected and more safe when they belong, when they're in a loving relationship and men, when they feel important, when they feel respected, when they feel that they have value. Yeah. So oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, if anyone is listening and they, and they are still in a marriage, that might be something interesting to pay attention to of, can I make my, if, can I make my husband feel more significant or can I make my wife feel more like she belongs? Like, changing the language of how you interact with each other can have really, really, really big impacts on your relationship once you start to recognize what some of the underlying needs are. So what would be some examples of how to do that? I, I've heard some examples of, you know, making your husband feel more significant is to show appreciation for even small things that they do. You know, if they bring milk home, you know, say thank you or, you know, make it a showing of it that at a time when maybe they wouldn't expect it, like, Hey, I, you know, thank you so much for, you know, whatever X, Y, Z you did yesterday. I really appreciated it. Um, what do you think about that? I was watching, have you ever seen the show Shits Creek? Have you no, seen I've heard it's really good though. It is so good. And I, it is, it is so, so, so good. I happen to have been watching an episode last night and I think what, why it's so successful one one of the things I was realizing as watching it, like, what is it about the show? I mean, it's very, very funny, but it's this incredibly dysfunctional family. They're so out of loop with reality, but there's this bond and the way that they relate to each other is you know underneath it that they love each other and they're there for them, them for each other. And even though oftentimes they're yelling, screaming, saying incredibly inappropriate things to one another, the way that they interact, the way that they structure the family in the show shows you how important their relationships are. And, and, and specifically it stood out to me, Moira is the wife and Johnny is the husband. She was doing that in the episode that I watched where she was building him up. He, you know, the, the, the storyline is like, they're in this incredibly wealthy family and they lose everything and they have to live in this, this like completely run down town, um, town in a motel. And she's used to this incredibly glamor glamorous life. She was an actress. And she builds him up the whole time. She's she's his number one supporter. You never see her berate him or put him down or yell at him. It's she's always there, encouraging him, building him up. And I really noticed it last night in the in the way you know she's upset, you know she hates, she's angry, but she still stands behind him and she pushes him in an incredibly supportive way. She really feeds into his ego. Hmm. I'll have to watch that. Watching. Yeah. Okay. And then what are some ways that maybe the husbands could make their wives feel more belonging? And is this something that everybody needs? I mean, the, the wives need significance and belonging both, right? Four needs is, I, I believe everybody needs them. So it's belonging, significance, safety, and change. We need a certain amount of change, excitement, um exploration in our lives otherwise we get really bored and that is also something to look into if you're considering divorces are you just bored how can you bring more excitement into your life because mm. exciting it's not positive excitement but it's certainly a disruption and it's it's exciting um yeah so we all need those but it tends to 
men, women have a little bit of a stronger need for belonging and men, um, it, it's, it's a way to make them feel loved. It's just to tap into those a little bit more. So I'm also a big fan of love languages. If anyone out there is listening, Gary Chapman is the founder creator of this concept of love languages. Have you had anybody on here talking about love languages? No, maybe I should. Oh my gosh. Yes. Love languages. To me, love languages is, it's basically five languages of how we express and feel loved. And we all have different languages. So if we were in a relationship and you speak Spanish and I speak French, it's going to be really frustrating because we cannot understand each other. And we could be saying the most loving, kind, compassionate things to one another, but it's like, I don't know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> are you telling me what I want to hear? And you're like, I am telling you what you want to hear. And you're like, no, you're not. You're I don't understand what you're saying. We do that with love. And it's words of affirmation, so kind words, what I was saying about Moira was doing to Johnny, of, you're great, you got this, those, those power words, um, acts of service of doing things for other people, touch, some people just feel loved when they're touched and held, um, gifts, and time, time together. So some people just, they don't care about gifts, they just, I feel loved when you spend time with me. And I think that that is a good, you can go online, you can take tests to see, um, they have these quizzes online, what your love language is. And it is a gift to your relationship to be able to say, this is how I feel loved. And if you are divorced, learn your love language so that for your future relationships, you can come in and know your needs and say, hey, gifts are nice. It's just, I don't feel loved when I get gifts, they're nice, but I feel loved when you hold me. That's when I feel mm -hmm. like, me and your partner might be like why is she rejecting my gifts like this is this is how i express love and then learning to communicate the way you love will help you tap into these needs hmm, that's really interesting i'll have to explore the love languages a little further so we have talked a little bit more about reparenting yourself can we talk a little bit about reparenting your kids too especially after a major event like a divorce yeah so i i think that Step one really is reparenting yourself. And you can reparent with your children without fully doing all the reparenting work in yourself. But if you don't really know yourself very well and know why you get upset and know what triggers you, what makes you feel bad about yourself and, and what makes you feel good about yourself, it's hard to come completely to the table in quality parenting. I think that self-awareness is the first step really to anything in life, but especially to parenting because it's so personal. Our children are an extension of ourselves. And if we can't learn to separate between the two, we get caught up in expectations of how our children should be, um, how they shouldn't be. And if they don't fulfill those expectations, that's when the conflict in the home happens. And I use this metaphor of an airplane and the airplane is life and your child is the pilot of that airplane. That is their plane, they're the pilot. A lot of parents have the mistaken belief that they're the co-pilot. You're not the co-pilot. You are everything else on the plane. You're a stewardess. You are the traffic control. You are a passenger sometimes. You're just not a co-pilot. You you're not flying the plane. That's their life. And once you can readjust your view of your role, you can support them. Your maintenance, you're everything. You are everything on that plane but the pilot. And if at some point you don't learn that that's your role, you're going to get ejected from the plane. And so it, this, at some point, a child is not going to want that in their life. You have to let them, you know, if they want to fly to Paris and you want to fly to New York, they are flying to Paris. 
you know, they're going to get there one way or another, even if they don't physically get there, it will be in their heart and it will create a lot of conflict for them. And it's, and I think that that's what quality parenting is. And that's what reparenting is, is coming at parenting from that approach, from a different approach, starting to look at what your children's needs are specifically post-divorce of how did this really affect them? What do they need in this moment? What can I do differently? How can I be present for them? And just rebuilding. And I, I like to also say, it's not a broken home, how to unbreak your home. Cause there's this term, you know, I come from a broken home. What does that mean? You know, I know, I hate that expression. Right? What does that mean a broken home? Like, you know, we're really, really breaking away from this concept of a nuclear family being as a mom, dad and, and child or children. And you can have a very happy, beautiful together home in a different structure. But if it comes from the experience of divorce, there's work to be done. And this is what my message is. Some people think that life is seamless, that, oh, this marriage is terrible. I'm going to get divorced. I have two, three kids. I'm just going to transition out of this divorce into this happy life, meet the man of my dreams or the woman of my dreams, and everything will be great. And I really do think that to minimize and to take advantage and to build your home and your family, then that's the self-awareness part and the getting on, you know, stepping away from the co-pilot mode for your children. I love these topics. I feel like I could talk about these all day. Me too. <laughs> I know I didn't ask you this in advance, but do you have any books that you could recommend that people read if they want to know more about some of these topics? Do I have? Oh, a lot. You have a full book. This one, I have the parenting books on the other shelf. Yes, um, Conscious Parenting by Shafali Tsabari. So T-S-A-B-A-R-I. Conscious, conscious parenting. Trying to put it in the notes. Yeah, so her name is Shafali, S-H-A-F-A-L-I, Sabari, if that's what you pronounce it, T-S-A-B-A-R-I. I really think that that should come with children <laughs> when they're born. <laughs> like, here's your manual. Here is the book. Uh, it really, really, really encapsulates this concept of your role not being a, a co-pilot of how you can be there to support your child. And it also addresses some of your own internal stuff as well. I really would like to see people explore that more at any time, really. I mean, obviously for me, I see it when people are getting divorced and it's really terrible how, what the difficult positions that they put their children. And I know they love them. I know they're not doing it on purpose, but something you mentioned when we started out this conversation is a lot of these things are subconscious. Um, but I've had so many clients say, you know, I don't talk about my spouse in front of the kids, but then you'll realize that when we're talking about your divorce litigation right now, and I hear your kid talking in the background and they can hear us, you know, they're not deaf. So it's little things like that, that I would like people to be more mindful about, you know, when they're talking to their girlfriends or, you know, talking to family members and they're in one room and their kids are in the other room, you know, they can hear that. They hear so much more than you think that they do. And there's no worse thing that I can ever think of for a child to be in a position where they are not free to love both of their parents equally. It's it actually it's an it's such an important point you bring up, and it goes even deeper than that because a child views themselves as half their mom, half their dad. They're fifty fifty. So if one verbally bashes the other or says negative things about the other. A child interprets that as a personal attack. So if my dad is bad and I'm half my dad, 
then I'm bad. Or if my mom doesn't love my dad or hates him, then does she hate me because I'm half him? You have to suspend logic because as a logical, no, you're different people, but that's how a children perceives it. And, And even further to that point is, I can't even tell you how many children clients I have that tell me things that they overhear their parents say that their parents think they don't hear. Kids are listening all of the time. I, I see my own kids, like you think that they're busy doing other things and they have an ear out there mm-hmm. just listening for whatever information they can get. So being so, so conscientious of that, I know that nowadays that's even harder when everybody's stuck at home. Get into your car, go for a drive, go for a walk, schedule a specific time when you know with certainty they're sleeping. Just, I know it's challenging. It is so important to not talk about your divorce, to talk about your ex, to talk about any of it, where there's the possibility of them overhearing. Yeah, I mean, just think of it like you wouldn't put your kid to bed without dinner. You wouldn't let them not brush their teeth for a week. You know, you wouldn't let them go outside and play in traffic. Don't let them be privy to sensitive divorce information that they, that frankly, it's none of their business. They shouldn't know. Well, a lot of people, and that's part of the inner work, is they're angry at their spouse and they want their, they want their kids to know. They want the validation. They want them to know, oh, your mom is a piece of work. And and also it it absolves them from blame. Like we're getting divorced because she's the worst or was he mm-hmm. did this to me. And they want their kids to know that because they want support in their pain. And it's just, that's not what your kids are there for. And that means doing the reparenting to yourself of, why are you so pained? Why are you so angry? And how can you let go of it? Yeah, really good stuff. So where is your office located? I'm in Boca, Florida, oh, but amazing. we are closed right now. So everything is telehealth. Um, yeah. From the so that means you could basically have clients or patients anywhere. Not therapy, not, not from the counseling perspective, but the coaching that I do, the single parent coaching that I can do from anywhere. So the, the the mental health counseling is more regulated by state right now, although I'm curious to see what changes because everything has changed. And there definitely is talk about having more of a national recognition and, and creation so that people can work over state lines. Uh, but for now it's per state. But if uh, if it's coaching mode, then, then it's... Uh, so what kind of people would you accept as clients? Did you, you said single parents? Single parents, I do coaching with single parents. Um, I, I really like to work with, I'll take anyone who's in the divorce process, even considering divorce, because there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of things to look at. But I like post-divorce because a lot of people think that they're done. You know, ah, oh, it's done, mm-hmm. divorce is over, life is resumed to normal. And I think that's when the magic happens. That's when the real work happens because you're not in crisis mode anymore. You're not dealing with lawyers and, oh my gosh, and am I getting screwed? And, and you know, and if he's taking, she's taking, she wants, and you're in this survival mode. It's hard to do deep, deep reflection work when you're struggling just for air. And I like the post-divorce where, okay, the dust has settled. Now let's take a look at your marriage and your divorce and your childhood. And how have you got to this point? And where do you want to go now? It's like, now the world has potentially opened up. What do you want? What's your future? Who do you want to be? You know, divorce requires a whole shift in identity. If you've been married for for more than two, three years, I know for me, I was a wife. You know, I, I was this mother in this family, and then divorce meant 
who am I now? What's my identity now? And it's opportunity to redefine what you want and who you are. Yeah. So how can people reach out to you if they're interested in coaching with you? Easy to find. It's my name is shevagans.com on that's my website with my contact information. My email is info at shevagans, S-H-E-V-A-G-A-N-Z. And I'm also on Instagram if you're not ready for coaching, but you want to just check out. I put a lot of resources on my Instagram page, uh, just tools and tips, even general parenting stuff. Mostly there's a lot of crossover. And so you can check it out. It's a fun page sheva.gans is the instagram excellent well i will we have your website here and i will have this all of the information to reach you in the comments and i'm sure you guys will get a lot of benefit from a conversation with sheva i know i did just from this conversation so thank you for being with us today i appreciate mm -hmm. it my pleasure thank you i think there are plenty more topics we could have you on to talk about anytime and thank you for watching or listening to the Divorce Happy Hour podcast. I'm your host, Christina Previtt. If you need help with your divorce matter, you can reach us at centraljerseyfamilylaw.com. Thank you, guys. Bye.